0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punishment. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks catches them in his net, and gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Those college students begin to return to campus. Public schools move toward reopening in two weeks. uh, Obviously, you know that questions seem to far outweigh definitive answers. Uh, No one really knows what the outcome of those decisions will be because none of us knows the future. But isn't that the way it always is in times of uncertainty and difficulty that questions far outweigh answers? And if we're wondering if that's true or not, just ask the prophet Habakkuk. Um, So we're going through a series looking at this particular minor prophet. uh, And so as a quick recap to maybe bring all of us up to speed on this, remember Israel is divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, So I want you to do something for me. Just wave goodbye. Just wave goodbye. That's what's happened to the northern kingdom. God's judged them. Assyrians have taken them because of their disobedience. And then you go through almost 100 years where the southern kingdom, Judah, continues to exist. But they're not really listening to God. Uh, And so God has some news for the spiritual decay that his people have fallen into. Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2 are a Q&A with God. Uh, and as we've seen so far in the first 11 verses, the first four verses, the prophet raises a question. And the question is, how and why? How long is this going to go on? That it seems like the righteous suffer and evil just seems to prosper that the world seems to keep falling apart around us. And why is this happening? And in verses 5 through 11, God responded to Habakkuk's first question. And, And God's response is, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Babylonians to judge you. And what you find happens now in verses 12 of chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 2 Habakkuk has a follow-up response and question. Because that's kind of shocking what God has said to him. And so that's where we're picking up this morning. What is Habakkuk's response and his follow-up question? And if you're taking notes to help you with this, that response has three stages to it. The first stage is simply reflecting on God's character. Habakkuk is moved to reflect on God's character based on what God has said to him. And not just said to him, but a message intended for the people of Judah. The second stage we'll look at is questioning God's justice. And then finally, we get to the third stage in Habakkuk's response, which is anticipating God's reply. So reflecting on God's character, questioning God's justice, and then third, anticipating God's reply. But let's walk through this by looking at the first stage, reflecting on God's character. The disobedience of the people of Judah has prompted some deep thought on the part of Habakkuk the prophet. And I would venture to say, as we have looked at our world changing, as we have looked at the uncertainty, how our daily schedules have been impacted no matter who you are and where you are by COVID-19, that it may have stimulated some thought on your part to reflect on the character of God. And not just maybe what you understand about God and what you believe God to be, but also possibly looking ahead to what if someone were to ask you, I thought God is love. I thought God controls everything. Why doesn't he stop this? Why don't we have a vaccine sooner if you've prayed about it and you've asked your God? In other words, it does cause us to step back and think deeply and reflect on God's character, which is exactly what Habakkuk does as you look at verses 12 and following. Notice in verse 12, he begins this assessment, this reevaluation, thinking out loud of God's character. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punishment. So based on what that first reply was, where he's saying, God, how long? Why? What are you doing? God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. They are going to come in and be my instruments to teach you the importance of listening to me. But in that assessment, notice Habakkuk's knowledge of God is spot on. Just listen to what he says about God. In verse 12, you are from everlasting Or he puts it in the form of a rhetorical question, which we know would anticipate the exclamation answer, yes. Of course you are everlasting. And that's a very important aspect of God's character. Because often in the Old Testament, you see references to God being a witness against the sins of his people. Why? Because he's always been here. He's been here longer than the mountains. Than, than anything on earth. And so it speaks of his antiquity, which is related to his integrity and truthfulness. So yes, God is everlasting. He is before all things. But notice he goes on and says, my God, my Holy One. Now he uses a Hebrew term here for God, Elohim, which usually accentuates God is the creator and maker of all things. Something he will reference a little further on. But he addresses, God is the creator. Spot on. Yes, God is all powerful. He's made everything. But he is also the Holy One. The one who is set apart and above his creation. Not not a part of his creation, but but above his creation, but yet at the same time, his, his imminence, he is present among us. So, so far, Habakkuk is right on target with as he reassesses and thinks through the character of God, the attributes of God. Then notice as well in verse 12, you have appointed them, referring to the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You have ordained them. Again, a reference to God's power. He moves and directs nations according to his Perfect will. But maybe you can start to see some of the other wheels turning in Habakkuk's thinking. He says, Oh Lord, you have appointed them to judge us. So, what is Habakkuk's issue then? Is he disturbed that God is judging his people? It doesn't seem like that is at the heart of his lament. And so, we'll wait and see. Well, what is then troubling him? based on the first pronouncement God has made. But let's look further at verse 13, referring to God's character. Your eyes are too perfect to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. I think all of us would agree with that, that that is God. He is a God of righteousness and justice. He cannot behold or merely accept or turn the other way towards sin. So again, as as Habakkuk looks at the surroundings around him, he reflects on the character of God and says, God, this is accurate. This is who you are. And I would hope if you haven't, you've reflected on the character of God. And you can go through this checklist and say, yep, that is correct. You are eternal. You are all powerful. Notice as well in verse 14 when he references, You have made men like fish in the sea. Now, this would dovetail with, You are Elohim, the creator. But where he's kind of going with this is God, you created everything. But right now, the position of God's people are degraded because of their sin. We have lost that significance of who we should be because of our disobedience. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But there's just one problem. His knowledge of God is correct. As he reflects on God's character, we would nod, Amen. But the problem is God's actions appear to contradict his character. In other words, as Habakkuk looks at the reality, you're calling in the people of Babylon to come and judge us because we're sinners. He looks at that and says, that seems to be a contradiction. And that moves us to the question of God's justice. This is where Habakkuk now is wrestling. Would a just God judge his people this way. And as a broader subject to that, we call it theodicy, where where in a sense you're answering issues of pain and suffering in the world and, and what does it mean to say God is just and here's the reality of where we live. And I think that's an important issue for us to realize. We may say, well, we're confident God's in control. We trust in his sovereignty. Yes, but what about someone who doesn't know Christ? What issues does this raise for them when you're quick to say God is love and they're going to want to say, I don't think so, and here's why. And that is kind of the place that Habakkuk is, is looking at and honestly saying, God, your actions seem to contradict what your character is. And so let's take a look at, at this closer, this second stage questioning the justice of God. Because really, Habakkuk is saying, is God acting unjustly? Would a just God use a people more evil than us to judge us because we have sinned? That's a great question. That's a question we should think about and say, how would we respond to that? Well, let's take a look at verse 13 because in verse 13, He talked about God's holiness, but then notice you have the question that comes up. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? In other words, as he listens to that message from God, as he looks at the world he lives in, and the reality that the Babylonians will be coming in and taking out the southern Kingdom. He says, God, to me, this looks like you're now tolerating the treacherous. In other words, you're you're not judging the faithless, which is what the word treacherous means. You're actually seen to be rewarding the Babylonians for how bad they are, because their kingdom and empire is going to explode here in growth. So why do you tolerate the treacherous? And then notice the second. Rhetorical question Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now we get to the heart of Habakkuk's response to what God had said in verses 5 through 11. God, it looks to me like you're rewarding the wicked and you're silent. While evil just prospers. You hear that same complaint off the lips of other minor prophets. God, look at our world. Why are the evil prospering? Why are they successful? And the righteous seem to be struggling. It's a question dealing with a very important matter. The justice of God. Is God a just God? And so we see in this lament that Habakkuk actually displays not a lack of faith, but a perplexed faith. And I think that's very important because if you've wrestled and thought about some of these issues, which I hope you have, not just because of COVID, but maybe as you've dealt with physical problems, health scares, that as you've kind of sometimes thought to yourself, well, I'm a child of God. I love God, why is this happening to me? That what you're really asking is a question pertaining to God's justice. Is God a just God? And so Habakkuk's lament, his laying this out before the Lord, is actually evidence of his faith. It's a perplexed faith, but it's a real faith. And that's vital for us to realize as Christians, you can struggle with some of these issues. And I think we learn something very important from Habakkuk that shows us often we're looking in the wrong place for what we think we most need. But notice in verse 2 as well as in verse 12, with both laments, with both questions, he speaks of, O Lord, O Yahweh, The one who is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. He's directing this to God. It's not a cry of skepticism, of atheism, but he's saying, Lord, you you are Yahweh. You're the God of Israel, a title that not just stresses he's he's a covenant-keeping God, but often is associated with his presence among his people. That even in his circumstances, as Habakkuk looks at what is a very bleak, immediate future for the southern kingdom, they will go off into exile. And they will be in that exile for 70 years, exactly as God told them. He does not lose sight that he's still talking to Yahweh. And so his faith is amazing to see in the midst of perplexity. But like the ancient people of Israel, we struggle with the same issue at times. Because our view of God's justice is myopic. We don't really see it like we should. In other words, the people of Israel were fine with God's justice. If his justice you meant, he will judge those who hurt you. He he will judge those who don't listen to God as long as it's not you. You. But that's not God's justice. That's a perverted view of God's justice. We know from this message here in Habakkuk that the justice of God is both a terrifying and a comforting teaching for the people of God. Because what we mean by God's justice is that by the very nature of who God is, which everything Habakkuk laid out for us is exactly on target. By the nature of who God is, it demands that he judges all sin and rewards all righteousness. So he must judge all sin, not just the sin of other nations, of people outside of Israel, but he must judge as well the sins of his people. And Israel, the southern kingdom, lost sight of that. I kind of felt, wait, we, we deserve, we, we should get God's favor here. What happened to the northern kingdom, that, that shouldn't happen to us. But God is going to say to Habakkuk, I am a God of justice. Do you understand what that means? I must judge all sin, and I must reward all righteousness. Now, by the time you get to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, you'll see next week there's a verse that speaks about how the righteous will live by faith. And there's a, a direct allusion here that's going to be wide openly explained in the New Testament when you speak about a God of justice who now makes us right and just through Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Romans for an illustration of this and, in a sense, a reminder that God is a God of justice. So He demands judgment for sin, which creates a tremendous and unsolvable predicament for you and me. We're sinners. So what do we do? God rewards righteousness, but everything we do because we're sinners is as filthy rags before Him. So what's going to make us just. What will enable us for God to reward us as being righteous? Well, Romans 3, Paul's exactly discussing that issue in verses 21 and following, but let me focus on verse 25 and 26. Paul says, God presented him, him," referring to Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying here that God did not punish sin in the past because. The prophecy to Habakkuk is an example of God punishing sin. But he's saying God did not punish sin to its fullest extent till his judgment fell on Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. So God's justice and wrath were satisfied in Christ who bore our sins. Now we, by faith, become just and righteous in God's sight. Jesus Christ. That is the justice of God, met and provided for you and me in Jesus Christ. And so we've seen that Habakkuk so far has reflected on God's character. He's, he's wrestling with the question of God's justice and what that means in the present situation he's in. But that brings us finally to his anticipating God's reply. And it's fascinating to look at verse 1 of chapter 2, which is appropriately often included in chapter 1 here, because you have him anticipating God's reply. Why? Well, God replied the first time. God consistently shows us he hears the prayers of his people. But let's take a closer look at what is said here. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You have the imagery of a watchman uh, stationed on a wall and the importance of the task that a watchman had. Uh, But we should probably understand this not literally, like Habakkuk is going to climb the wall and he's going to place himself there, But more figuratively for a spiritual alertness and watchfulness that Habakkuk is going to be in now. That his heart is going to be prepared to listen to how is God going to respond to this cry from his heart about God's character and the question of justice. Notice the active verbs there, I will stand, I will station myself, I will look all very specific verbs emphasizing focused attention. But it's an attention that starts from within. Habakkuk is in very good company by saying, I'm going to stand and look for God's reply. Now, who else said similar thoughts on that? Moses, Balaam, Elijah. Elijah. Those individuals God raised up where they at times said, I'm going to stand and wait and look for how my God is going to respond. It's an attitude in a state of spiritual alertness and readiness. Because it's very clear that God did respond the first time and Habakkuk is honest enough to kind of say, God, I'm having a little trouble with the first response. We could almost put it as if God responded to Habakkuk the first question. And Habakkuk's response was, really? The Babylonians? Really? You've got to be kidding me. And now he moves on to the deeper issue. The question of God's justice. Notice in that first verse of chapter 2. At the end of it he says, "I, I will wait and see and prepare for what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now, the word complaint is an interesting word there. And there's some debate as to, does Habakkuk realize that, that he's sort of pushing the envelope here? Um, that, that He's raising an important question, but, but is he getting to a line he does not want to cross? Because the word complaint can mean reproof or to judge. And it's typically a word used in the context of a covenant lawsuit uh, where God often refers to his people in a covenant lawsuit where he says, Here I am, the judge, the prosecuting attorney. Here's my complaint. Here are my charges against you. And, and as you weigh that word that Habakkuk says, I, I need to be thinking about, how will I respond to this judgment I have to this issue I'm wrestling that I think in anticipating God's reply, you see in Habakkuk a humble and a teachable spirit. He's not demanding that God owe him an explanation. He's desiring an answer to his questions. He's recognizing that he is addressing Yahweh. And one should always choose one's words carefully, thoughtfully, and prayerfully when speaking to God. Could it be that what's most important in this setting is not that something needs to change externally, but something needs to be changing internally in God's people? That we're there focused on the circumstances the dreaded news of the Babylonians. But God is saying, you, you need to focus first. Do you have a humble, do you have a teachable spirit? Let me read for you something that's written in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66, and verses 1 and 2. You get to the, the end of Isaiah, and it's a message of hope and restoration. But, but to not forget that the ultimate hope and restoration and work of god is not external it is internal and so you listen to what verses one and two say to us in chapter 66 this is what the lord says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool where is the house you will build for me where will my resting place be has not my hand made all these things And so they came into being, declares the Lord. So there's kind of a focus on some of the external things Israel would often think about, physical temple, structure. Then it goes on and says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Is that what we see starting maybe to be further developed in Habakkuk? And perhaps the people of Israel. Not to focus on what's out there and around them. But what is the anticipated reply that God wants to do in their hearts? Maybe what we need, just like Habakkuk, is that in times where the questions far outweigh definitive answers, what we need most are not answers. We need to know God. We need more of him. Because as you make your way through this book, you're going to see God is going to respond. And what he responds with is really, remember who I am. Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord, there is no doubt that there are many similarities between the days and times of the book of Habakkuk and the uncertainty of the days that we live in. Forgive us for often focusing on the externals, on thinking if we just change this circumstance or this external issue went away, it would be good with us and fine with us. We're missing the bigger picture. We're missing, Lord, the work that you desire to do in the heart of each and every one of us. And so may we, like Habakkuk this week, think deeply about God's character. May we come to a richer understanding of God's justice and what that means for all sinners as well as for those who are righteous in Christ. May we anticipate the things you will show us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.